You have reached Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey, a ministry and podcast of the Discover Young Adults Ministry at the Preston Crest Church of Christ in Dallas, Texas. We meet at 945 on Sunday mornings, and we have small groups all throughout the week. We are located at Preston Road and Highway 635 in North Dallas. My name is Jacob Hawk. I'm the Young Adults Minister and the host of this podcast. It doesn't matter if you are single, dating, if you want to be dating, if you're married, if you want to be married, or if you're divorced, or if you're trying to figure out at what stage of life you are passing through. At the Discover Young Adults Ministry, we want to help you discover life, discover love, and discover the Lord. If I can help you or serve you in any way, or if I can pray for you, please email me at jacob at pressandcrest.org. Well, I'm glad that you're joining us again today for Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey. My name is Jacob Hawk, the host of this podcast and the Young Adults Minister here at the Preston Crest Church of Christ. As you know, we are in a series right now where we're just having some conversations with the different ministers here at Preston Crest and what their passions are and, and why they do what they do. And today, uh, Dr. Gordon Dabbs, our preaching minister here at Preston Crest, is joining me for a conversation. Gordon, we are glad that you're with us today. Good to be here, brother. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Oh, I know you. Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your family and background, and then we'll get going. I will. I will. Love to talk about myself, right? <laughs> hey, man, first off, congratulations, Jacob. Thank you. Jacob has got a big day coming up. He's got a beautiful fiance, Suzanne, and they're going to tie the knot and our church at Preston Crest is very excited for you guys and for what God has for y'all. Thank you very much. Uh, so, yeah, I grew up in Neosho, Missouri. I'm a child of the Ozarks. Um, went to Oklahoma Christian, where my older sister, oldest sister went. I was on the debate team there. I was a pre-law major. Uh, thought I might be a lawyer. Thought I might want to do, um, I don't know, a college professor thing in communication, something like that. And then went off to OU for grad school. And uh, yeah, so I got a PhD down there. And at some point in there, you know, God just kind of got a hold of me with some, some different plans that he had for my life. But that's basically me. Um, and my wife and I, of course, don't want to leave this piece out. We spent 10 years in Brazil as missionaries, uh, part of a team planting a church in beautiful Rio de Janeiro, a true postcard city. Yes, it is. I did not know you were a pre-law major. That's something we have in common. I, I started out really? at Harding as a pre-law major wow. as well. So what is your actual undergrad degree in? It was, I did not do Bible. I did a Bible minor, but I did speech communication pre-law, Okay, which was basically the degree that allowed me to do the least amount of math, <laughs> which was a thing for me. I was like, how can I get out of most of the math classes. Yeah, I tell people that's one of the reasons I became a Bible major is because Bible majors only had to know a few numbers, 3, 7, 12, 40, and 100. And if you knew those <laughs> numbers, yeah, the math was <laughs> over like with. It. Okay, very good. So you went to Brazil in the mission field. You were there for 10 years with some other couples on a mission plant team. And then God brought you back here stateside to Dallas, Texas to begin uh, preaching ministry. So first question for today is when did you become interested in preaching ministry? Yeah, so 
Um, I was on the debate team in high school. Uh, I, anyone that knows me at all um, knows, I mean, I don't need to tell you, I am a nerd. Um, so debate team, I was on the tennis team, but I was in the band and all this stuff. And so I kind of enjoyed public speaking and very, you know, my parents were very faithful at taking us to church and everything. So God's been part of my life for a long time and that relationship's grown over time. But so that, then I went to OC on a debate scholarship and did more of that. Um, first time I got to preach was, I was probably like 20 or 21 mm-hmm. and it was in a little tiny church in Anderson, Missouri and maybe 25 people there on Sunday morning when I preached and I remember working really hard on this sermon. And I don't know your experience early on, Jacob, but I worked really hard on this sermon. And I got up there, and I think it was not over 10 minutes in length. And mm-hmm. I was like, uh. <laughs> so it was really funny. Um, yeah. Early on, I was like, how did these guys get up there and talk for 25, 30 minutes or more, and not that you want to be long as a preacher, but but I was like, okay, and those were early experiences, but then really, um, our movement doesn't talk much about calling, but I I think most of the people I know in ministry feel, whatever you mean by that word, they feel in some sense that God has called them, like Mm -hmm. they're not, they didn't just choose to be a preacher or a minister, and for me, when we were getting ready, and this is a longer story I won't tell, but... So God really just organized a bunch of stuff that didn't look like coincidence to my wife and I. We needed to go to Brazil. We needed to help plant this church. And so our team, we needed somebody to be the preacher. So that that is how God uh, did that to me. Uh, That is how God said, you're going to start preaching. And really, you know, fell in love with it and Mm -hmm. felt like, oh, wow, God is really like using some of the things I'm saying here to to touch people and, and change people. So so how old were you when you moved to Brazil? Does it sound like early 30s or? Uh, probably a little earlier than that. I'm um, thinking right after I graduated with my PhD from OU, probably 27, 28, okay. something like that. And y'all moved to Brazil and then you started, so you were preaching every Sunday in Brazil mm-hmm. starting about 27, yeah. 28. Okay. Yeah. Um, I appreciated what you had to say about people usually choose to become preachers. There is a sense of divine involvement in that decision, a push, calling, whatever you want to call it, that you feel mm-hmm. this is something God wants you to do with your life. Um, when I was in college, I took the the test that, you know, a lot of college students and high school students take kind of that personality assessment test to say, hey, this would be a really good mm-hmm. area for you for your career. And I'll never forget, I took the test, and I was excited to see the results, and it came back, and it recommended that I should be a cab driver. What? A cab driver. <laughs> and I, I guess it was because you I may like, be missing your true I like right cars, now. <laughs> and I like being around people. And so That's why not hilarious. be a cab driver? But I, I was like, I think I can do better than that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, my story's a little bit different than yours. I started when I was uh, about nine. Robert Oglesby at Waterview, mm-hmm. along with my father, Danny, encouraged me at a very young age to start getting up and uh, gave my first sermon on a Wednesday night when I was nine they years old. They saw something in you, didn't they? Well, either that or they didn't want me to be a cab driver. I don't know. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I appreciate what you had to say. No one just looks at the list of career choices at the Career Center of University and picks minister. There's a divine push mm-hmm. for you to go into for that sure. area. 
So you've learned a lot, obviously, over uh, the years of preaching. I look back when I first started preaching and realized how little I knew when I first started compared mm-hmm. to what I know now. Um, we talk a lot about biblical preaching. Churches want biblical preachers. Churches need biblical preaching. What mm. What is, I mean, this is kind of a heavy term, what is quote-unquote biblical preaching? Boy, that is a great question because people, I think, use that's not biblical or that is biblical in a lot of different ways and probably even depending on your Christian tradition that get you, gets used in different ways. And the answer to that could be an entire podcast or a series of podcasts right. probably. But for me, I think the key question, is it biblical, comes down to kind of who is the driver? Am I creating the message or is the text creating the message? I, I know that sounds, but but really it to me, if the Bible is not in the driver's seat, um, then I think it gets less and less biblical. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm just pulling verses or stories out of the Bible to preach a message that I want to preach, um, I think it gets a little bit sketchy there. Um, so, yeah, it's it's really learn, and that's what we do when we train to be preachers, is we l- really learn um, to listen to the text right? so that we're saying what the text is saying. Like what it originally was intended to do, what it originally made people think in Ephesus and feel in Ephesus or wherever it was written to, I want my sermon to have that effect on people. Um, and so biblical preaching, I would just say, is a question of is the Word of God in the driver's seat or is this person or personality in the driver's seat? Are, yeah. are you using the Bible or is the Bible using you? Okay. Uh, I think biblical preaching is about the Word of God using us and delivering a message from, from the Father. Which is why expository preaching is so valuable, and I know you value that as well, of getting into the text. Um, we're doing that right now at Press and mm-hmm. Crest in the book of Nehemiah, uh, walking through that book, letting the text speak for itself, and uh, reminds me of when I was at Harding, one of my preaching professors, Dr. Philip Thompson, said, you know, there seems to be a trend now in today's preaching world with particularly younger preachers of, all right, I'm going to go to YouTube and find a really good YouTube clip and then figure out what verse I can use to go with my <laughs> YouTube clip versus <laughs> go to the text and see what the text has to say and then try to illustrate what the text says with something from life. But and, and you see that in a lot of different preachers. It's like, okay, this was something you wanted to talk about, and you, then you had to tack on a verse at the end to say that you preached a sermon. You're right. Um, and, that happens. I've done that. I confess, I mean, especially early on, and I'm not proud of that, and I probably didn't know it was there was anything wrong with that. Um, but, yeah. And, by the way, I don't think I'm, – I'm with you. I prefer expository, digging into the Word, um, but I, I do think there's a time for some topical preaching, you know, sure. for a series on parenting or marriage or money or stuff like that. Um, but kind of the bread and butter, you know, the nutrition that, that we're serving up to the church is mostly expository. Sure, sure. So the next question is one that I've always taken very seriously, and I had some mentors early on in my ministry ingrain this into me. Uh, for context, for people listening, I know Gordon knows this context, but Acts chapter 20, Paul is about to leave the Ephesian elders. He's been with them for 
for a long time, they formed a deep relationship. He's getting on a ship to sail away, and they know they'll probably never see each other again. And looking back on his ministry there in Ephesus, he tells those Ephesian elders um, that I have not hesitated to preach to you the whole counsel or the full counsel or the whole will of God. It's how some translations render that. And that's in the context of him telling them, hey, you guys are shepherds of God's flock. You need to protect God's flock. You need to lead God's flock. And you need to do what I've done. And I've, I've preached to you the whole will and counsel of God. Mm. So, Gordon, what does that what does that mean today for preachers to make sure that they preach the whole will or the whole counsel of God? Yeah, so Paul most likely planted the church in Ephesus. Then uh, scholars say he came back. I mean, the Bible says he came back, second missionary journey. Probably spent two to three years. So that is gives a little, you know, full counsel of God. He wasn't just three sermons and out or something like that. So he was able to do a lot of teaching and preaching in Ephesus. Um, I think I would start by peeling away some negative. I, I would do some negative ways to answer that question to kind of start getting at the heart of it. Like one thing, the whole counsel of God. One thing that's a big problem in churches right now is, and I would say in our tradition, churches of Christ, it's it's a thing too. It's a it's a challenge for us. We don't know what to do with the Old Testament. Like two-thirds of the Bible, we're not exactly sure what to do with this. It's kind of like, uh, oh, that's the JV of the Bible, right? I mean, some people think that way. Like it's the Old Testament is not really. Why are you preaching from the Old Testament? Um, And I think that our story, our Christian story, it starts in the Old Testament, but some people think, no, it really just starts, you know, and some of them say not only with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but but like post-Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's really where the Christians were. And we really deprive ourselves of a big part of our story. Paul, the whole counsel of God, that definitely meant Old Testament preaching. I mean, you can mm-hmm. go through his letters and just quotation after quotation from uh, the law and and the prophets. Um, so he was preaching out of that. He was preaching Jesus out of the Old Testament. Um, so I think that's where I would start is saying we the whole counsel of God definitely means you're taking seriously Genesis through Malachi. Um, and by the way, Jesus is all the way through, right, Jacob? I mean, right. he, he is in Genesis. I mean, uh, you know, he's the... Uh, he, he is the one who's going to crush Satan um, all the way back in the beginning. We see these prophecies about him. So the gospel thread is there, and great preachers, I don't know that I count myself in that number, but great preachers are able to preach the gospel out of the entire canon of the Bible, including the Old Testament. Now, the other side of that, the whole counsel of God, and this is what I think uh, most people would think of these days is you're not avoiding the hard topics. Mm -hmm. You're not avoiding um, some of the controversies. You're not avoiding some of the cultural hot button stuff. Um, And and especially if you are preaching week in and week out, you're not just a a guy showing up at an event and they gave you a topic. But if you are the bread and, you know, the meat and potatoes guy that's delivering the word every Sunday to a community of believers, um, it is hitting all of that stuff, mm-hmm. you know, even some of the stuff that's a little harder to preach on. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that that is more challenging. Sometimes as a preacher, you know, 
they're not going to like this sermon very much (laughs) because it's a little too relevant. You know what I mean? Uh, So I think the whole counsel of God involves those elements. Uh Uh-huh. Like... You know, issues of sexuality that people struggle with these days. Um, you know, Paul talked about laziness with the Thessalonian church. Um, that couldn't have felt good for some of the members that that they were supposed to work and not just freeload on the church. Um, sermons on giving. I mean, the Bible talks a lot about giving and financial faithfulness. And so we can't avoid that even though people don't want you. To right. talk about their money, you know, right. it's my money. I'm going to do with it what I want. Preacher, shut up! Yeah. yeah, but the whole counsel of God is kind of hitting all of that. Sure, sure. Appreciate your answers, and I would agree with what you have to say. A um, couple of things that in the New Testament I think illustrate this: one from Paul, and then one from the story of Philip. Uh, but you know, Paul says in Second Timothy to Timothy, mm. "Be prepared to preach in season and out of season." Mm-hmm. And I think we've translated that and interpreted that correctly over the years to mean when it's popular and when it's not popular. Yeah. Um, You know, Paul, if you look through the book of Ephesians and especially the book of Corinthians, Paul deals with some things that he knows upsets people and earns him some enemies, but he doesn't back down from it. He's, Mm -hmm. He's bold in what he has to say. Also, I've always been fascinated by that story in Acts 8 of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, not just what happens, but how it happens and why it happens. The writing along, reading from Isaiah, and mm-hmm. somehow from Isaiah 53 to uh, writing by water, the eunuch realizes I need to be baptized. So mm-hmm. like what you were saying about great preachers who can preach the whole canon and get around to the gospel, obviously Philip and the eunuch, they get around to the gospel because Isaiah 53 has nothing to say about baptism, mm-hmm. but that's what he's reading at the time. So dealing with the holistic understanding of Scripture uh, is very important, and also um, preaching things that may not upset people, but still things that don't get talked about as much. Yeah, yeah. why we do what we do in the church, why mm-hmm. we believe what we believe in the church, why we worship mm-hmm. the way we worship in the church—all of those matters um, would fall into the whole whole right. counsel of God. Right. I think you're on there. It's interesting, you know. I don't know that anyone's ever led more people to Jesus than Paul. Um, and the Bible he had to work with was the Old Testament. So I just love, yeah, he was preaching the whole thing. Um, and then, of course, his writings and stuff are now part of our inspired canon as well. So we're blessed to have the whole Bible. And let's use it. Let's preach it. Let's teach it. Um, somebody told me one time, until you see the gospel in a text, you're not ready to preach that text. And it just kind of made me think, Um I think there's something there until maybe I don't need to preach a certain text from the Old Testament if I can't yet see the gospel there. I believe it's in there, mm-hmm. but um, it does take eyes to see and then a real gift to bring that before a congregation and show them Jesus there. So is effective preaching, the next question, is it connected to the health of a church? And if so, how? Not at all. Okay, that was a joke. <laughs> um, yes, yes, I wouldn't be doing what I was doing, what I do, unless I believed that, uh, convicted to that. The sermon, you know, is kind of at most churches like that is the one main message that every ear hears each week. Um, we get a lot of teaching in Bible class and stuff like that, but that is like the one thing that 
is is has a unifying effect. It's that one thing everybody's hearing. It's feeding them. I believe it's leading them. Uh, no doubt about that. Um, I remember. I think I told you this story, Jacob, in the hallway a week or two ago. Uh, but there was a pretty well-known preacher that went to a new church. It was a merger of two older churches. Mm-hmm. And and so they brought in this pretty well-known known guy, but kind of an old-school, hardcore preacher, and they brought him in. And the very first Easter Sunday, he was with them, and they had a huge crowd. He chose Easter Sunday to preach on divorce and remarriage, like hardcore stuff. And that church was never the same. And I mean, not in a good way they were never the same like a lot of people left um some of them probably just weren't going to church anywhere but that church really i mean that sermon really affected people in a negative way so the whole counsel of god absolutely also be wise be discerning um because the the health of the church does uh depend on the the preaching that's being done at that church um i mean it shapes the the way a, a congregation sees itself it, it shapes kind of the attitude is there a positive loving spirit or a negative critical judgmental spirit um so yeah i mean it it, it to a great extent it affects that um level of health that the church has yeah i appreciate you saying that because when you look at it in the book of acts as the church is beginning and exploding obviously there's a lot going on and they're receiving some divine help on the day of pentecost uh, speaking in tongues, which mm-hmm. the church doesn't have that divine help today. But when you get past Pentecost and when you get to the persecution and the church scattering and when they start coming back together, uh, the church grows at an exorbitant rate mm-hmm. because of preaching. Mm-hmm. Preaching has always been at the heart of God, even back in the days of the patriarchs when God would speak to people through the leaders mm-hmm. of the family a mouthpiece, a communicator, and effective communication has always been God's one of God's greatest tools mm-hmm. in the New Testament to grow his kingdom and the yes. Old Testament to grow his presence and his reign on earth. Um, I had a mentor of mine say one time that good preaching may not always grow a church, mm-hmm. but bad preaching will certainly shrink one. Yeah, um, And you look at churches over the years that have been huge churches and have lost a lot of people mm-hmm. or in one way or another it's always directly tied uh, to the voice that the church hears on Sunday so mm-hmm. uh, I appreciate you saying that that mm-hmm. the health of a church and the man who preaches for that church in its own way is always directly uh, you know connected. and it's probably good here Jacob to just say um, it's not just the preaching, it's also the preacher. Like if you're, one of the problems with some churches that do experience decline like that or even collapse is the lifestyle of the preacher doesn't match up. I mean, phenomenal orator, Mm -hmm. uh, even gifted and interpreting scripture, stuff like that. But I mean, and and, you know, the list is long. but yeah, your decisions, your addictions, your stuff, we're all sinners. I mean, I mean, we're saved by God's grace. We're redeemed. That's our identity. We all struggle. So that's not, no, you got to be perfect to be a preacher. No, 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 no. Right. Um, you got to be real to be a preacher. But um, make sure that your life matches up with um, the message that you're right. preaching. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, thank you for 
adding that in, very important. Yeah, we've seen some ministries lately, haven't we? What was the uh, Ravi Zacharias like? Mm-hmm. And I mean, he's the most famous, like, recent example I can think of, but phenomenal. I love that guy. I loved his ministry. Um, but then now we're learning some things that are not so phenomenal. And I, and I think that harms the kingdom and it erodes people's faith, which is a serious, you know, serious thing. Sure. And, and future influence that we have on people. Okay, so uh, question five. People have always asked me this question, and we think about it often, but (laughs) what is a preacher's main job? (laughs) What is a preacher's main job? Um, Writing and delivering a sermon. I mean, that that would be your simple answer, right? Um, I, I have to tell you, like... When I start, it was funny. So first of all, go back to the early days, and I don't know if you heard the same thing. I bet you did, but I heard early on after I would deliver a sermon, um, and they were not great sermons, Jacob. I mean, early on, bro, I was learning, and it was it was. I'm sure it was rough on the church sometimes, and I would hear these sweet, precious old ladies come up to me and say, "Oh." You've got so much potential. <laughs> and I learned after I thought that was great and encouraging. I learned after years, oh, they're saying, I kind of stink right now. Um, but bless them for not saying it exactly like that. You know, mm-hmm. they were being sweet, and I think they meant what they were saying. But no, the job is to bring the goods, you know, from the pulpit uh, week in and week out. Uh, primarily share the gospel. Mm-hmm. Primarily share the gospel. Um, every single time I walk up to the pulpit, whether I'm in the New Testament or the Old Testament, I am supposed to share that story about Jesus. I mean, Romans 1.16, right? It is the power of God for everyone who believes, which to this day uh, scares me a little bit. I get nervous when I get up there, and it's not so much the public speaking aspect of it. It is a serious business, right? I mean... There are souls that will eternally be influenced by what a preacher says and how they say it. And so it's preaching. I know I'm doing good when I'm preaching the gospel. Um, The secondary thing I would say, so that's the main job is preaching the gospel. But along with that, we are supposed to inspire and encourage God's people to get into the word for themselves. I don't think my preaching should be the main meal for people in their walk with the Lord. I am hopefully, hopefully I'm a I'm the calamari baby. I, hopefully I'm an appetizer, and what I do whets their appetite to dig in for themselves, to dig into God's word. And I, I think as you mature in preaching ministry, you get to where hopefully you're not threatened by questions and occasional criticism. It just shows that people are listening, mm-hmm. you know. And I get some emails, and I get some, hey, did what did you mean by this or this that, and the other thing? I love it. I want people digging into God's word for themselves, um, and hopefully, we as preachers, we just kind of get them hungry for that, right? Um, and prompt them to dive in for themselves. The calamari, huh? Yeah, I'd much rather be the chips and queso. <laughs> but dude, give me either uh, one of those choices. I, I appreciate what you're saying. Yeah, you want to be the catalyst to spur them on to future um, growth and future study on their own. Um, and I also appreciate what you're saying. Man, that 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 song before the lesson, mm. uh, 
for a preacher who loves what he does, there's nothing like it because mm-hmm. you realize you realize what you're about to do mm. and who you are speaking on behalf of, mm. and that is a holy, sanctified, yeah. serious moment. You are speaking the word of the Lord on behalf man. of the Creator wow. of the universe. Yeah, and you have the distinct honor of getting to speak words of life yeah this is yeah. not a this is not a self-help motivational seven steps to a better business presentation you are speaking mm-hmm. as god's man yes um you know paul even says in the new testament who is equal to such a task mm-hmm. and so yeah the main job of a preacher you you put the emphasis on Jesus, mm. and you mm. get to serve in an incredible partnership with Him, thirty minutes every week. What is it? You know, John the Baptist said, "He said, I must become lesser; He must become greater." Right. I think that's in John three. Um, yeah. If if I'm magnifying myself, there's a problem. Uh, and nowadays, with podcasts and YouTube and Twitter and Instagram and all that, it is so easy and dare I say tempting. You know, shine the light on yourself, on your accomplishments, on your following, mm-hmm. on this, that. And I just go back to that. It's, it's. I must become lesser. You know, if, if I'm really in sync with the Spirit of the Lord, I'm lesser. He's greater. Like you said, this is the Word of the Lord, mm-hmm. and it is really humbling. It's cool. Uh, it's, I guess I could even use the word kind of fun in a way. It's exciting. I love it. I, it's energizing. But yeah, your knees should be knocking a little bit. Sure. Because it is a big deal, right? Sure. I'm sure you've heard this story before, and history records it a little bit differently depending on which historian you're listening to. But, um, you know, James Garfield, hmm. president of the United States, was a member of the Church of Christ. Yeah. He was a preacher before he became president. And shortly after his inauguration, one of his advisors asked him, uh, Mr. President, what is it like to now know that you have. Um, you know, the greatest job in the world, or you're the most powerful man in the world. And James Garfield said, sir, in many ways, I feel like I've been demoted Mm. because before I was president, I was a preacher and there's no greater calling Mm. than being a spokesman for God. That is good. And I have to confess to you, thank you for that. I have to confess to you, I knew Garfield was one of ours. I didn't know he was a preacher yeah. before he was president. Is that not, yeah. And that's I mean, a great quote. Commander-in-chief, most powerful man in the world, said, hey, this is pretty cool, but it's kind of a demotion because mm. I was love a that. preacher before I was president. Yeah, so there's nothing like preaching. I know mm-hmm. we both love it very much. Uh, we've kind of touched on this already. This is a lot less serious than the previous question, but favorite sermon style, <laughs> uh, Why? I have to be totally honest. I don't have, I think, a favorite sermon style. I am really down for anyone who can work through a chunk of Scripture and share insights and challenge me. Um, I am, if they bring the energy and they, and I can tell they've put in the work mm-hmm. before they got up to preach. I am down to listen to anybody, any style. Um, I like conversational, relaxed people. You know, uh, John Pipery type of guy. Well, he's not. I mean, he can get fired up too. But that are that are. I don't agree with everything he says. I guess I need to preface. I don't agree with everything he says. Uh, but I like the more scholastic kind of thing. I like to. I like 
to hear T.D. Jakes preach sometimes, <laughs> wiping the sweat off his brow and that African-American rhythm that he gets into, you know. Um, but I like a lot of different things. Their heart has to be in it, though. Right. I mean, I can't, yeah, boring preaching is a sin. I mean, <laughs> you're, you're preaching the Word of God, man. You need to be excited about yeah. it. Now, all of our personalities won't look exactly the same when we're excited. Um, but, yeah, if someone's excited about it and they have something to say, and it can be something I've heard a, a hundred times before, but it stirs my heart, you know. Sure. So. Sure, yeah, I I like variety as well. But when you when you see and hear someone's heart, and as you said, that's expressed a little bit differently. Some people a little bit more animated than others, or um, the tone of their voice may change. But you know, even yeah. when uh, you know, couple couple weeks ago now, uh, brother Bob Chisholm, who's next door to me, mm. had some remarks before the Lord's Supper. And Bob is by no means a... Uh, this is me knocking on Bob's wall right now. <laughs> Bob is by no means a... Hopefully he doesn't come over here. Animated. Get real, no, but man, this, yeah, the, chill, the heart deep. that he gave and mm. uh, the smooth rhythm that he... It was meaningful. It was powerful. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I don't think there's a perfect form or perfect style, mm-hmm. um, but there is the right heart. You know, I, okay, this just came to me, Jacob. I'm not a huge baseball fan, mm-hmm. but there are all kinds of different pitchers, right? Mm-hmm. There are guys who their pitch is the changeup. That is their best pitch. They're knuckleballers. There are guys who throw, throw straight heat, and they can all get the job done, yeah. you know? And I think there's a lot of different preaching styles that can deliver that message to the plate, you know, can bring it home. Um, so, and, and that's one thing I like about conferences, lectureships. I mean, you get to hear, you might not want to hear the guy every single week, but you, but to hear it once and, you know, it's, the, I think you get to hear different variety and stuff. Well, so, I can only imagine good. Peter and Paul would have been night and day difference in the way mm-hmm. that they delivered a lesson. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the highly educated, you know, scholar of the old, the Pharise- former Pharisee, and then the fisherman, you right. know, yeah. <laughs> rough around the edges, a um, little more. I mean, I don't think I, Peter was a smart guy. Yeah, yeah. But maybe a little more hillbilly. I mean, Galilee, come mm-hmm. on. Um, and yeah, they both led people to Christ and built mm-hmm. the church. And yeah. we need all types. I remember my first job in Lano, which was out in the rural part of Texas. Preacher said one time he was as nervous as a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. <laughs> I, what in the world does Love that it. mean? Yeah, but Love it. but yeah, that was the style. Okay, um, we'll speed this up a little bit. But what do you think are preachers' most common mistakes? And man, do we make many of them? Boy, we do. Um, you know. The big cardinal sin is plagiarism. I don't think that's the most common mistake. Yeah, if you're, I think it's okay to be inspired by other preachers, a story that they told. You can tell that in your own way and stuff. I don't have a problem with that. But yeah, preaching someone else's content as if it's your own is is bad. That's not though. I think you're asking for the most common, and I think we just covered it. I think the most common mistake is to not bring energy or passion, whatever word you want to put there. And I know everybody has different motors. Uh, I'm not really talking about speed or volume. There are guys that talk fast or guys that talk loud, but energy. I mean, if passion doesn't come through, 
you got to work on that and really probably work on your relationship with the Lord. I mean, mm-hmm. because nothing is is more boring, is more uninspiring than listening to someone whose heart is not in what they're saying. So mm-hmm. I could hear, you know, a, an 11-year-old preacher, man, their heart's in it, dude. It's gonna, it's gonna inspire. I can hear, you know, Robert Oglesby. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got to hear him when he was already really up there in years, you know, eighty-ish in years, and man, he could bring the goods. And so I would just say the number one sin is not bringing energy, heart, passion. I, it can be rough. Your grammar can be off. Your, you know, delivery can be a little rocky. I'm cool with that mm-hmm. if you are fired up mm-hmm. about what you're saying. I've always told myself that as soon as um, as soon as I go to bed on Saturday night and I'm not extremely excited for what's going to happen the next day, mm. it's time to quit. Mm. And I hope I never get to that point. But going to bed on Saturday night knowing you get to speak on behalf of God the next yeah. day, just yeah. there's nothing like it. Yeah, amen uh, to that. And I'd also add, uh, preachers' most common mistakes. We talked about this earlier in the podcast, but. Man, when the Bible is no longer the substance for what you're about to say, mm. sit down. Sit down. Yes. It, it's, <laughs> the church doesn't need to hear it, and yeah. God doesn't want it. Yeah. Um, yeah. When you start talking more about yourself or current events than you do yeah. Scripture, yeah. sit down. I'm with you on that. Um, okay, so let's talk Preston Crest. I know you love this church. You've been mm-hmm. here now, what, 12, 13 years? 12, I'm, I'm working on year 13 right the, now. The lucky un- yeah. 13. Okay, unlucky 13. Lucky 13. 13. Um, so what is your hope for this church through your preaching? Hmm. What a blessing to be called to a church like this. I mean, I know there are all kinds of churches in all kinds of towns I love this church. Love my elders. Love we got a great staff here. I mean, we just had right before we sat down to record this, we had our devotional this morning. We got to pray together as a church staff, and that was wonderful. What a gift. Uh God, thank you. You could have put me a lot of places. Uh, but you put me here, and I know I'm blessed by that. Um I want to see people here develop a hunger to dig into God's Word. I already talked about that. Don't need to talk about that again. But just, you know, whet their appetite for that. And then I want to see them drawn into ministry, you know, uh, where they're not just showing up to receive, um, whether it's here on a Sunday morning or in a small group throughout the week. Um, But they see themselves as people on mission. My job here, somebody told me, Jacob, when I got here, Keep it weird, and uh, what they meant. I, I think I tried not to take that too personally, <laughs> right? Because I think there was a little bit of you're kind of weird, Gordon. And but I think <laughs> what they were saying was, you were a missionary, you are still a missionary. And so what I want to see at Preston Crest is we don't see missions as something that happens over in China or Brazil or where we got missionaries all over the world. Praise God for that. But we are missionaries. Not just the paid staff. Every believer at Preston Crest is a missionary, and Dallas-Fort Worth is a great, big, growing mission field, um, increasingly secular. Some people are really beat down by that, and, oh, that's tragic, and you know, the numbers of how many people go to church these days and all this stuff. I'm fired up. God put us in a great mission field, you know? So I want our members to see that. I want them to join God's mission. That's what I want to see. 
So when he said keep it weird, he wasn't saying keep it like Austin. He was <laughs> he was saying yeah, yeah. I understand what you're saying. Yeah, continue to challenge us. Yeah. Where we don't get stagnant, right? Yeah, don't just go through the motions. Don't just, you know, settle. But really keeping it weird means God is alive and at work. We serve a risen Lord. Um, and so let's see what he's got for us, you mm-hmm. know? Let's see where he's calling us, what he wants us to do. And so weird in the sense of God's people are supposed to be holy, set apart, mm-hmm. different. Um, and if we're not, something's wrong with right. that. Right. Uh, so what is your favorite thing and least favorite thing about being a preacher? That is interesting. And, huh. <laughs> um, there is really nothing big about my ministry that I just really hate. Okay. I mean, I'm blessed to be at this church at this time. Um, so I'll start, I guess, with my favorite thing. Uh, my favorite thing is people seeing them grow in their faith, um, seeing them go from what I just talked about, kind of warming the pews to getting out on God's mission, joining in ministry, whether it's here on our campus or you know out in their neighborhoods uh, and in this mission field of DFW. Uh, so I guess my least favorite thing is, and you know this, sometimes when you're in full-time ministry, you have a front row seat not only to watch people get on fire for Jesus, uh, but you also sometimes have a front row seat to watch people's lives implode. And that is not fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, I saw that in Brazil. Uh, There was a guy that I was convinced he was going to be an elder of the church. Um, He knew the Bible more than anyone else at our church, had more Bible knowledge, loved his wife, great family, and I won't go into all the details. He blew that up, and I could say that was disappointing. It was more. Uh, I still get, get a little sad and heavy when I think about that, and that's been 15 years ago. When you watch someone's life fall apart, and I, I don't want to finish out our time on a, on a negative note, but you're asking what I don't like. That would be it. Is got a front row seat to some amazing work that God does, and also to see people with enormous potential turn away from the Lord and turn away from what He's called them to. And so, I would say, you know, Jesus talked about if you come to Me, you'll have life and have it in abundance. For a long time, I thought that just meant woo, mountaintop, abundance, uh, <laughs> prosperity. No, abundance is Jesus says, you come to me, and you're going to get to go to the mountaintop with people. And abundance also means you're going to get to go to the valley with people. And right. you're going to have this huge, wide spectrum in the kingdom of God. And so we kind of have to embrace all of that. I would rather it be mountaintop all the time. Uh, but we're going to mourn with some people whose hearts are broken, uh, and we're going to see some people we dearly love just kind of colossally blow it and turn their backs on the Lord. I really appreciate your answer there, because most preachers, when they say the things they don't like, it's your typical, well, I live in a glass house, people are critical, they don't know how hard I work, I get tired of hearing about how I only work one day a week. <laughs> uh mm. But that wasn't your answer, and I'm encouraged by that. And I think that's 
I think that's biblical mm-hmm. because when you look back at the the life and the ministry of Jesus, we never see Jesus's heart despondent mm-hmm. when people criticized him. What we see him have the most grief about is well Matthew 23 when he stares over the city of Jerusalem yeah. and, and says how I've longed to gather you together yeah. but you were not willing um, and you're exactly right that's the hardest part of ministry is watching people who either A know better and do the wrong thing or B they don't understand how great a life of Christ could be for them and never make that decision uh, that's hard and that's yeah. the kind of stuff that keeps you up at night so that's right um, I appreciate the way you answered that question. Mm. All right, last last question, and I guess this is a positive one, unless you want to answer it with, I don't mm-hmm. know, like demons or something. But if you had one more sermon to preach, what would it be about? That's a great one. I mean, it's hard um, because there's so many places I'd love to go. I think I would just have to preach what I did last Sunday. I mean, we're... I don't know when you're listening to this podcast, but we just finished Easter Sunday here at Preston Crest. Was that about divorce and remarriage? Or was it, that you know, was not you? I, I gave that strong consideration. I've heard that's a real winner on, uh, or yeah. And uh, um, I, I just think the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I know that sounds generic, but just that um, would be, if I had one more to preach, I would preach that with all of my heart um, because we we talk about a lot of things at church. Paul talks about a lot of things. Jesus talked about a lot of things. But when you get down to it, um, people's souls are saved by the gospel of Jesus, by what he did at Calvary. And so reminding them of that, challenging them, believers to live in that, uh, unbelievers to come to that and trust in that, that would be what I would preach great answer i can't think of a better topic either death burial and resurrection changes everything Mm. well gordon thank you for taking the time to be with us today and to you and your family and isla for your ministry here at pressing crest and thank you jacob thanks to everyone today who took the time to listen we hope that you heard something in this that gave you an insight into what the life of a preacher is all about and as always i encourage you to keep your eyes on heaven. God bless, and we will talk to you 